Let's turn now to our scripture passage for this afternoon, which uh, proclaims that victory that we have just sung about, that God indeed will achieve over all his enemies and for his church. And so we want to turn to two portions of scripture uh, for our reading, and one is in the Old Testament book of Judges, just a few verses from there, and then we'll turn to the book of Revelation. In Judges, we like to read from chapter 4 and some verses from chapter 5, although the ones from chapter 5, I will let you know right now, will not be the ones listed in the bulletin. I've changed um, my mind on reading, rather, the verses uh, that are the beginning of the chapter. I'll indicate those when we get to Judges chapter 5. But in chapter 4 of Judges, we will read verses 12 to 16. Judges chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. The context here is a battle. And uh, we're going to connect it to the Battle of Armageddon that we're going to talk about here this afternoon. But this is an Old Testament battle involving the people of Israel who were being oppressed by a mighty foe, the Canaanites, who were oppressing them at this time and went out to fight them. And you'll read here or listen here to what happened in that battle when Sisera was told, and Sisera was one of the Canaanite generals, the chief general of the army of the Canaanites, was told that Barak, he is the one from uh, Israel who was heading the, the small army of, uh, of the people of Israel, the son of Abinamah had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Heresheth to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, and Deborah was the judge at that time, over Israel, Barak was he recruited him to lead the troops. Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heresheth Lagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Now in chapter 5, we have, after the battle had been won by God's people, that God had won for them, the people rejoiced in Israel. So in the first verse, we'll read the first several verses there, then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinam on that day, that day of victory, that the the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, blessed the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled. And the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. And then one verse, verse 19, again reflecting on that great victory God gave his people. The kings came, 
That is, the, yeah, the kings, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. Those were the enemy. At Taenic, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. Now we turn to the book of Revelation, and uh, the last book of Scripture, of course, and now to chapter 16 in Revelation. Revelation chapter 16, reading just a few verses here as well, actually. beginning to read in that chapter at verse 12. John is receiving a vision in which angels are pouring out bowls of wrath, bowls of wrath that fall on the earth and then plagues come about as a result of these uh, bowls of wrath that God is inflicting upon the earth. But now we read in verse 12 of chapter 16, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty." Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled, that is, these kings against Christ or against God, they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So far the reading of God's word, and may he bless us as we reflect upon what this is all about. And I know... Sounds like a mystery to you right now, perhaps. But uh, what we want to speak about, people of God, is what is called the Battle of Armageddon, referred to here in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. As you know, the history of the world has witnessed many great battles, and some have turned out to be key turning points in a war, even determining its outcome leading to ultimate victory for one opponent and ultimate defeat for the other. I think, for example, in our own country's history of the Battle of Gettysburg, a key battle in the Civil War. Had the South, had the South won that battle, the whole war may have ended up very differently. But the South's loss at Gettysburg pretty much sealed their defeat and victory for the North in the preservation of a united United States or united America. Or in World War II, the key battle that happened there, I think, or at least one of them, happened on June 6, 1944, commonly known as D-Day. On that day, the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy, France. They were able to breach the German defenses on the coast, And so began the final assault in Europe against the Nazi empire, assuring its defeat. Because the battle that was won on great on D-Day guaranteed the Allied victory in Europe. And so it was not long after that that Japan also gave up and signed its official document of surrender on the ship USS Missouri, 
docked in Tokyo Bay, where General Douglas MacArthur from the United States was witness there to the signing of Japan's surrender. And you know what MacArthur said on that occasion? As he was reflecting on the the toll that World War II had taken on the peoples and the nations of the world, Uh, these were among his words. We have had our last chance if we do not devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at the door. In other words, he was saying the next time the world is plunged into another world war, it will be Armageddon. What did the great general mean by that? Well, he he may have meant that the next world war will be the last battle of history. Perhaps that's why he called it Armageddon. But what he understood by Armageddon, I'm not sure, though we can know where he got that name from. He got it from the verses that I just read from Revelation chapter 16. This afternoon, we want to consider what the real battle of Armageddon is all about, as recorded here in the Bible. And that will indeed be history's last great battle. And also it will be, no doubt, a battle whose significance will far outweigh any other battle that has ever been fought in the world. And certainly its outcome will far be far more consequential than any other battle ever waged. Because that battle will result in an entirely new world. It will usher in an entirely new age. It will bring to an end our present world and creation and bring in the age and world to come. As we consider the Battle of Armageddon this afternoon, let me do so under three main points. First of all, we like to know where that name Armageddon comes from. Why is it called by that name, the Battle of Armageddon? Then secondly, we want to look a little while at the nature of this battle. What kind of battle will this be? And then thirdly, we should note the outcome of this battle, what it will be. Who will be vanquished and who will be the victor? Now, the name Armageddon is only found once in the Bible. And it's in our text that we've chosen for this afternoon, Revelation 16, verse 16. Listen again to what it says there. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The persons assembled there were kings, kings of the earth and their forces. We'll say a little more about them pretty soon. But notice that they assembled at a certain place called Armageddon. So Armageddon is a certain place. It is indeed a battlefield. Our text says it actually has a Hebrew name. It's a name which derives from two other Hebrew words that are joined together. Har is one word and Megiddo is the other. Har Megiddo, which means literally mountain of Megiddo. And now Megiddo is a name found in several places in the Old Testament, interestingly. It refers to a place that was located about 55 miles north of Jerusalem and about 15 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea. In Old Testament times, Megiddo was a very key place, especially for military purposes. Because, you see, it was situated at a strategic spot in what was called the Valley of Jezreel, 
also called the Plain of Asdralon. And so when the armies would come from Mesopotamia in the north to Egypt, their arch enemy typically in the south, or vice versa, if the Egyptian army would travel north to Mesopotamia, they would have to pass through the valley of Jezreel. And they would have to pass them by that place called Megiddo, which was an elevated spot. It was kind of like a, a huge hilltop, which if an army could take hold of and possess, would give it a strategic military advantage. That's why many key battles were fought near Megiddo in the valley of Jezreel, surrounding it. One of those battles took place during the time of the judges, when the Israelites fought against the Canaanites, who had been oppressing them for some years. And we read just a few verses about all of that in in Judges chapter 4. The Israelites during this time were led by a woman judge, Deborah, and the commander of her army was Barak. But lined up against them was a much superior force of Canaanites ruled over by King Jabin, led by his army commander Sisera, who had 900 chariots of iron, 900 chariots of iron, while the Israelites didn't have any virtually. They had very few arms to to fight with. But God gave Israel a great victory at Megiddo. We read in Judges 4, verse 15, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. How did God do so? God sent a downpour of rain, which made the battlefield a mud trap. It rendered Sisera's chariots useless, basically. And so the Canaanites were defeated. And after that victory, Deborah and Barak sang a song of praise to God. Recorded in Judges chapter 5, they they sang, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will sing to the Lord. I'll make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the God of Israel. This is a song of victory. But notice, the song is addressed to the Lord. He was the one who gave the victory. And that happened at Megiddo, or that place which in Revelation is called Armageddon, meaning the mountain of Megiddo. And while we could cite other major battles which were fought there and are mentioned in Scripture, it was also at or near Armageddon or Megiddo that the judge Gideon, with his small band of 300 men, defeated the hosts of the Midianites. Though again, of course, it was God who won that battle for the Israelites. Indeed, many key battles were fought at Megiddo in biblical times and even in post-biblical times. And now you might be wondering and asking, well, what does all of that have to do with the battle of Armageddon mentioned in Revelation chapter 16? Are we to expect that in the future another battle will take place on that Old Testament battle site? In the land of Palestine, what is now part of Israel today? No, not necessarily. And that's certainly not John's point. I'm convinced that John in the book of Revelation does not mention Armageddon to give us the literal place 
where that future last battle of history will be fought. Rather, the reason that John, in his vision, it's a vision that he is receiving, speaks of Armageddon, where the kings of the earth will gather themselves on the battle of the great day of God Almighty, as it's called, is because this Old Testament battlefield is a powerful symbol or picture of the greatest battle ever to be waged in history. Just as in the days of the Old Testament, mighty armies would gather for battle at Megiddo, so one day the last great battle would also take place on this earth when our Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven. And just as at Megiddo in the days of Deborah and Barak, it was God, it was God who fought for Israel and gave them a great victory over their enemies. So in the last great day, God will again fight for his people and gain a great victory for them over their enemies and achieve for them a great salvation. That's why John refers in the book of Revelation to this last great battle as the battle of Armageddon. And now you can probably gather from what I've just said that this final battle of history, the battle of Armageddon, is not going to be a normal kind of battle. Let me turn secondly this afternoon to what the nature of this last battle of history will be. And I think that's quite clearly brought out here in Revelation 16. The chapter is recording another of several visions that the Apostle John received from God while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And in this particular vision, John sees God pouring out his wrath on this sinful earth as seven angels pour out seven bowls that are filled with God's wrath or judgments, each bowl representing another judgment, another plague. Just as God had sent ten plagues, you recall, once in, on another land, the land of Egypt, before the Israelites uh, left that land of bondage. And now when the sixth angel poured out his bowl of God's wrath on the earth, here's what happened. Here's what we read. John then writes in verses 12 and 13, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. You know, that must have have seemed like a pretty frightening scene for John to see in this vision here as he he sees these ugly, frog-like looking creatures coming out of the mouth of a dragon and out of a beast and also out of the mouth of a false prophet. Now, now this is, of course, symbolical language. Because who is the dragon? In Revelation, the dragon always refers to Satan, the devil. He's the archenemy of Christ. He's the dragon. And who is the beast? The beast in the book of Revelation represents the Antichrist, a world ruler who will come someday with great power that's given to him by the dragon, by Satan, and who will oppose Christ and his church and his people near the end of time. And who is the false prophet? Well, he represents in Revelation the false church. The church is actually a tool of Satan and a puppet of the Antichrist 
and which seeks to lead God's people astray so that they too will bow before and worship the Antichrist. And you can read more about this. I know this is giving you quite a bit here, but you can read more about these three great enemies of Christ and of his kingdom in Revelation chapter 13. But now get the picture then, which John sees here in Revelation 16. There he sees these ugly demons, these three demons, unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouths of this wicked trio, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And then what do these demons do? Well, verse 14 continues, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And in verse 16 it continues, and they assemble them, that is these demons assembled all these kings and their powers at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now it's pretty clear, isn't it, that this is not going to be an ordinary battle. First of all, it's instigated by demons, by evil spirits, which come from Satan himself, henchmen of the devil and of the Antichrist and of the false church. In other words, we're dealing here primarily with a battle between two opposing world powers, but not literal powers as we think of them, as we talk about the powers of the Western world or the the Eastern bloc, whatever, political blocs. We're dealing here in the Battle of Armageddon with spiritual powers involving real people, indeed, directed by the demons. But the major forces here are not visible forces, but invisible powers, Satan and his demons. It is, as you know, uh, also true today that we have demons operating behind the scenes in our world. Our wrestling, right, wrote Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so who are the opponents? What are the two sides you're fighting it out in the Battle of Armageddon? And the one side is Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the peoples and the rulers of the earth that are aligned with them and under their control. They're on the one side. On the other side is Christ. Christ and his angels and his people, wherever they might be living on earth. You might say, well, where do you get that from? Well, that's clear from from Revelation 19 and 20. In Revelation 19, verse 19, John writes, again, he's having a vision, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Who's the one sitting on the horse and his army? That's speaking of Christ. Christ and his angels. As Jesus comes down from heaven at his second coming with his mighty angels. And what does Jesus do? What does Christ do as he comes down to earth? He engages the Antichrist. And the kings aligned with him and their armies. So in Revelation 19, it's, it's also talking really about the battle of Armageddon. And then if we move on to Revelation chapter 20... 
We again read there about this battle too. It says there in verses seven to nine, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That's also talking, really, about the battle of Armageddon. Gog and Magog, by the way, are names that are taken from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. And there, Gog is a ruler who comes from the land of Magog to fight against God's people and do battle against the city of Jerusalem. But in Revelation 20, Gog and Magog refer to all the evil powers and nations of the world that are aligned against our Lord Jesus and his church. Indeed, the army of Gog and Magog had surrounded, it says, the camp of the saints and the city God loves. And that's a reference, no doubt, to the church, to all believers, true believers living on this earth during the days of the Antichrist. And so now, reflecting all of this, it's clear that the Battle of Armageddon is not, this is not a typical battle as armies today or in the past have fought or continued to fight with their various weaponry and weapons of war. You know, there are believers, brothers in the Lord, but they claim that the battle of Armageddon will be a literal battle that will be fought one day in the land of Israel, in the Middle East. But they, they, then they tell us that we don't have to worry about that as God's people today, as his church, because they say the church will have already been raptured before that battle takes place. So true believers will all have been already caught up into heaven before that battle even occurs. And then there will be a time of tribulation on the earth. They say a seven-year period of great suffering during which the Antichrist reigns. And during this time, the Antichrist and all his forces, the kings of the east and their armies will march toward Jerusalem, literally, city of Jerusalem, to destroy the Jews, God's Old Testament people who are living there. But when they arrive at Megiddo, then Christ will come down and defeat them at the battle of Armageddon. It will be the last war. And so they, some say, you know, that this takes place literally in the land of Israel on a battlefield there. According to Hal Lindsey, a popular writer on end times and so on, the battle of Armageddon will likely include nuclear bombs and involve some 300 million soldiers. But then Christ will suddenly come down from heaven and defeat the Antichrist and his forces. And then Christ will set up his throne in Jerusalem and he will reign there for a thousand years over the Jews during the time period called the millennium. And we can't go into all of that, people of God. We know it's a complicated subject in some ways, but, but to me, that is speculation, really. And there are many problems connected to this. But more seriously, it, it overlooks, in my judgment, it overlooks the main point, the main point of the battle of Armageddon. This is not a battle over Jerusalem and over the Jewish people alone who are still living there someday. Now, what the Bible teaches and what God is concerned to tell us here is that at the end of time, 
all the forces aligned with Satan will be vanquished by the power of our returning Lord and his angels. And it will happen after Satan has been let loose for a little while to ravage the followers of Christ with unrestrained vengeance. We call that sometimes Satan's little season, a short but terrible period of time before Jesus returns when Satan will be allowed to to assault the church vigorously and the Antichrist will then reign over the earth and there'll be great tribulation. During that short period of time, Satan with his allies will do everything possible to annihilate, annihilate the church, annihilate all of God's children who are still living on earth, wherever that may be, not just in Jerusalem, but all over the world. And that will lead, that will lead then to the final battle of history between the forces of Satan and the armies of Christ as he returns, as Christ then returns to deliver his church in the battle of Armageddon. Now exactly how that battle will be fought, I, I, it's hard to say, because the description of it all is so filled with symbolism. Uh, for example, I give you just one example, must we really think that Christ Jesus will return from heaven with a sword in his mouth and riding on a white horse to meet the beast and the dragon and their armies on a certain battlefield? I don't believe so. In any case, it's not important to know, really, how this battle of Armageddon will be fought, actually. The important thing is it will be the last vicious attempt of Satan to totally wipe out his church and the kingdom of Christ before he returns? And will Satan succeed in this with all his henchmen? Will he be able to do it? No, he won't. Because let's end this afternoon by noting the outcome of the battle of Armageddon. Who will win it? And who will lose this last great battle? And I'm sure by this time you all know what I'm going to say, and you, will, you know the answer already in any case, but I hope it, it will never fail to, to encourage you, to comfort you, and to inspire you. We actually receive a preview of this already in Revelation 16, because after seeing those three ugly frog-like demons coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, and seeing them gather all the kings of the earth to do battle at Armageddon, And before John even sees what the outcome will be, he hears a voice. It's the voice of Jesus who says, verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And these words you might see placed in parentheses in your ESV Bible because they they provide here a a key warning for us to remember at all times as we reflect on the upcoming battle of Armageddon. There's a little warning that's inserted here for all of God's people. It's a warning that we read in other places of the New Testament as well, where Jesus tells us, you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. Don't be sleeping. Don't be unclothed. Be awake. Be prepared for Christ to come because he's going to come like a thief 
comes in the night. You ask, but isn't Jesus going to come like a king? Will he not return like a a sovereign Lord with a loud trumpet sounding and the armies of heaven following him? Will he not come back as a mighty conqueror? Indeed he will. Every eye shall see him, according to Revelation 1 verse 7. But he will come as that glorious king at a time no one expects it to happen. Just as you don't expect the thief to come and break into your house at night. Or when that will be, if that should happen. He will come unexpectedly. So we must always be ready for his coming. Yes, today even we should be ready for him. Making sure that we believe in him who is the author of our salvation. So that, he will not, that we will not fall asleep as it were. That we will not be indifferent when he should come again, or also if he should come to us when he calls for us to enter into heaven. And the church as a whole must be ready for him because we are living indeed in the end times. The church must be faithful in proclaiming the glorious gospel of salvation and spreading that good news throughout the earth. Satan is already preparing He's already preparing for that final battle to take place. And he's doing that by hindering all the efforts to evangelize the nations and persecuting the church, resisting the gospel. It's happening even in our own country. But when that last battle of history comes, this is our confidence. The victory will be the Lord's. For here's what will happen when the church will be surrounded, surrounded, as you might say, by the armies, the forces of the Antichrist. And God's people throughout the world will be hard-pressed when Satan is ready to wipe out the church in its totality. Then suddenly, suddenly, the king of glory will appear on the clouds of heaven with the armies of heaven following him. Then the rider on the white horse That majestic, all-powerful, all-sovereign king will descend from heaven. He will come again as he promised with his mighty angels. And in one mighty blow, he will destroy all his enemies once and for all. Yes, we read of the final end of the beast, the Antichrist and the false prophet, the false church in Revelation 19 verse 20 like this, and the beast was captured And with it the false prophet, these two were thrown alive into the fiery lake of fire that burns with sulfur, that's a reference to hell of course, and their armies were destroyed. And Satan's end is described in Revelation 20 verse 10. It says that the devil who had deceived them, the nations, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. Satan too was cast into hell to be tormented there forever and ever. The battle of Armageddon will not last long. This is not going to be a protracted conflict because Christ has already won the victory over Satan on the cross of Golgotha. He already obtained the victory by his resurrection from the dead, by his ascension to glory. 
And just as when God himself fought for Israel in the Old Testament days against the armies of Sisera, so Christ himself will fight for his church in the battle of Armageddon. It will be his great day. It will mark the devil's final defeat. Revelation 16 verse 14, notice, calls it the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. What makes it such a great day? Because it's the day of Christ's return and the day of our Savior's great victory to which all of time, all of history is leading as its ultimate climax. That great day is coming. May you and I always be ready for that day. May we today be soldiers of the cross and followers of the Lamb who never feared to own his cause or blushed to speak his name. Then we don't have to worry or fear, not even the battle of Armageddon that lies ahead, because ours surely will be the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder the true believer, the true Christian, can pray even with earnest hope. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, we thank you. And for a little while, we as your children here uh, can listen again to the truth of your coming again in glorious victory the battle of Armageddon to defeat all of your foes and our foes. We are grateful to know, O Lord God, that history indeed will come to that ultimate climax and that we can be assured that the victory is the Lord's, that we can sing as God's people have sung throughout history and as they did in the days of Sisera. Sing to the Lord a song of praise for he has gained the victory for us. We thank you that as we look ahead to the future, we, your people today, can be assured that one day when that battle takes place, that final battle of history, then you too, O blessed Savior, our Lord and King, will be the conqueror and the victor. May we be conquerors with you. May our faith and hope be in you, that we too may share in that victory and have the assurance that we too will be received by you as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.